This is the PGA of Canada Professional Development Podcast Series. Industry leaders, PGA professionals discussing technology, fitness, planning your business, building your career. These talks, these ideas, developed for you to live a better life and earn a better living. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the PGA of Canada podcast. Uh, today, we're talking marketing, and I'm really, really excited to have with me Stefan Cox. He's the Director of Instruction at the Calgary Golf and Country Club. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me, Brian. Yeah, well, thanks for being here, too. Um, I guess it's a good time to talk uh, marketing, etc., as we're, we're recording this as the snow is still on the ground, but it's slowly starting to mar- melt away and, and golfers will be getting the itch here in the next month or two. So maybe tell me a little bit about your role as the director of instruction at the Calgary Golf and Country Club. Like, what are your responsibilities? What do you do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, so my, my role has evolved over the years. Um, this is my fifth season now at the Country Club. And I started as a full-time assistant professional. Um, we work six-day weeks, kind of old school in the summer. Um, and roles varied widely between management of the junior section, ladies' section, various ladies' leagues, um, from outside services management and pro shop staff, etc. But throughout the years, well, I knew early in my career coming to Canada and getting into the PGA, I, I found out quickly where my passion lied and that, that was within the coaching instruction side of the business. Um, I knew early on that head professional route was definitely not for me. Um, I wanted to go where my strengths really, really took me, which was teaching and sharing, sharing this amazing game with, with members. So after two years of full-time assistant, being a full-time assistant at the club, I, I decided that I needed to make a change and I, I wanted to go towards more full-time coaching. But being at a club like the Calgary Golf and Country Club, they've never had a full-time teaching professional at the club before. So I decided to write a letter to the board of directors back in 2019, summer of 2019. I wrote it to the board of directors, to the general manager and to our head professional, um, expressing my gratitude at being at such a wonderful club and uh, laying out where I saw my time and efforts best spent. So it was, inf- it was important to me that I laid this out as a win-win for myself and the club. Um, instead of seeking a full-time teaching position, as I said, the club had never had that before. I asked to begin with a hybrid model, uh, working three to four days a week still in my current role, and then giving me the flexibility of two to three days a week where I could be flexible with my time and and really start to implement some, some coaching programs. This really allowed was going to allow me to dip my toe in and see whether I enjoyed building and running coaching programs and also to see whether I could successfully supplement my income doing so. So uh, I was very pleased that the, the board 
were very positive and and allowed me to do this um the the change in my career happened to coincide with covid-19 hitting in early 2020 which was uh, interesting but it, it, i i took it as a positive i it did obviously create a lot of uncertainty at the time but um I used the time to to read a lot to to do a lot of work with uh, a coaching platform that I've been a part of for a number of years called RGX which is essentially a group of coaches around the world that meet on a weekly basis and uh and discuss topics within the industry and uh so I used that time to really get stronger and better and get get my programs together for whenever we were able to start teaching which ended up being kind of mid may 2020 uh, we'll we'll go into some other things that I did in that time uh, that really played out well and and continue to be successful right now but yeah that's kind of what I what I do at the country club now is it's evolved again from last year to this year it's two days a week management and the rest of my time is spent building the programs implementing the programs and uh I'm I'm very busy doing that and all of your programs all of your teaching um are exclusively for members correct there's no outside public that are able to come and get any instruction from you yeah that's correct it's it's 100% membership okay and how do you find with it being that pool of members do you find that you stay quite busy when it comes to teaching? Do you find that the majority of members, if they need a lesson, they're probably going to stay kind of in-house, if it were, as opposed to going somewhere else? Definitely. It's 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 rare that members get instructional coaching elsewhere. Um, we're very lucky at the club. We have a very engaged membership that uh, enjoy improving and, and engaging with their professionals. So I'm I'm more than busy. I I unfortunately i have to turn down a lot so uh that's it's very lucky sure okay and it's interesting how you you know when we talk about your journey how it was really you going ahead and presenting that letter saying hey i think there's an opportunity here to be able to do something and uh and them kind of saying you know what i that makes sense we trust you let's go ahead and do it so kudos to you for for that initiative to say hey i think there can be something done here interesting thank you so you, we touched on a little bit on COVID already. So obviously, when COVID really started to hit in that March of 2020, the club would have been closed for golf anyways, because it's snow on the ground. And, and you mentioned that you kind of got teaching going in mid-May. You know, we all had our challenges during that time and continue to do. But um, what were some of your initial thoughts about as we're slowly figuring out what that COVID thing was like back then, what were some of your thoughts around you know, teaching golf moving forward? Did you start to think like, are we ever going to be able to do things in person? Did you maybe look at more technology and how could I maybe teach lessons remotely? Because at that time, we no one knew what was going to happen. What did what were those first couple of weeks for you like trying to figure out how you'd be able to package your products and services moving forward? Yeah, that's a good question. That That's exactly what I, what I did. I, I looked into technology to see, I knew I was watching certain coaches around the world, uh, including the Canadian Shaheen, who uh, is very successful on Skillist, which is a, a, a mobile app that he teaches through. 
Um, I did join Skillist and I, I did some work on that. It wasn't quite what I was looking for. It didn't quite fit me as a coach. Um, but I did look into an app actually that I was using the prior year in order to stay connected with my students. It's called Coach Now. Uh, a lot of coaches out there will know about this, but I, I started to really dive deeper into the app Coach Now and, uh, I, I attended a two-day seminar online with um, the director of Coach Now, who's fantastic, and I learned so so much about online coaching, and not just online coaching, but the hybrid of the two, and how to market to uh, how to stay connected with your students, how to add value. Um, I just learned so much in those two days that I could have spent honestly two months just purely studying that stuff. So mm -hmm. uh, it definitely wasn't wasted time and it was actually uh, quite good timing for me to really be able to dive into that. Sure. And from the club perspective, how involved were you in trying to figure out, like how were you able to, were you part of the uh, the, the process of navigating the club through that in terms of, what kind of safety precautions are we going to have to put into place or like, you know, how are we going to be able to run a, a food and beverage operation or a pro shop, et cetera? How involved were you in navigating that aspect of the club? Not at all. <laughs> it's probably good. It's probably a lot of stress. So, yeah. Yeah. I was happily not a part of that, <laughs> but uh, I did, I did spend some time helping out grounds crews and getting the, getting the course ready for spring, but, and that was fun. I learned a lot during that time yeah. as well. No, for sure. And you know, I've talked to other professionals too that say sometimes helping in other aspects of the club, they make them a better person because they understand what a grounds crew goes through or the food and beverage side goes through. And it kind of makes you a bit more of a well-rounded golf professional as well. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. So when we talk about marketing a private club, and we touched on this before we hit the record button here, it's a it's an interesting situation with you at the Calgary Golf and Country Club. Maybe explain a little bit when we talk about, from a marketing perspective, kind of the really unique challenge that you face there. Yeah, um, we're, we're very lucky at, at the Country Club that people kind of know what we are and what we stand for. And it's been, it's been cultivated over years. Uh, we, we definitely not without our struggles, but we definitely know our identity. We know our culture and uh, people that identify with that tend to want to become a member. Uh, we, we, we really do no marketing for introducing members to the club. We're, we're in a fortunate situation. Um, even before COVID kind of set golf on fire, it was, uh, We've had a, a lengthy wait list to join the club, and um, so we're, we're very fortunate in that way. But we, I would say the strongest marketing we have is word of mouth and um, through guests of members experiencing their time at the club, uh, experiencing certain events like member guests. And, uh, yeah, that, that it, when you get to experience a certain level of service and, and, and the the club's grounds and everything else, it kind of speaks for itself. And as you mentioned too, we're talking about a very established brand, like over a hundred years old. So, yeah. I mean, it's people know the place. So that's, that's very helpful as well. 
So with it being a really unique place that essentially markets itself through word of mouth, et cetera, when we look at the the demographic of your membership, what do you what do you know about that? Who are the who are the folks that are members there? Uh, we definitely have a an older demographic. I think um, mid sixties is the kind of the target demographic. That that would be our average. Um, it's certainly a more traditional membership as well. Um, understated, kind of discreet and our internal marketing and and just everything about the communications in within the club mirrors that so you would probably expect a less tech savvy membership being that age group and that's very true we 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 do very limited we we do send emails out to membership but we're very careful in how many emails we send out um, people are bombarded with emails these days, so they tend to just get deleted without reading them. So we're very careful how many emails we send out. Um, I would say that internal marketing at the club is, it must be tasteful and, and discreet. Any printed material has to fit into the club's templates. Um, consistency is, is key. Um, for our digital marketing, as I said, we do use emails, but not frequently. Uh, we do obviously have a website and we've just updated our website. So pretty much everything you need to see or need to know is on the website as well. But being the the demographic that we have, we also still are quite old school. We print a lot of our um, marketing still or, or not marketing but club information so we have a spring and a full newsletter that is printed and sent to every member every year uh, we have printed diaries still with all club event information rules and etiquette uh, all the members phone numbers etc so it's 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 fairly traditional in that way Mm-hmm. Which, like you mentioned, matches the audience, and I think that's a, a good way of doing it, right? I mean, don't don't push your audience onto digital platforms if that's not where they are. Like making them, you know, go on a website or go to social media for information. If that's not what they do, why force them there? They're probably not going to do it anyways. That's right. So, I think just because just because the industry as a whole is moving that way, you really have to know your audience and stay consistent to that. Yeah, no, for sure. So on the other side of things, outside of, of um, any of the, the things you do at the club, there's always that aspect of personal branding. And we've touched on it before when I've done other podcasts or when I teach the introduction to marketing class through the, the PGA of Canada um, Teaching Academy, um, a lot about, about personal brand. And, and what are your views on personal brand? How important is that to you as, as marketing you as, a, as an entity as well? Yeah, I, I think personal branding is is extremely important. Um, just within the club itself, like I, I believe that a great team consists of people who have different strengths, and you should know if you're a good team, you should know your colleagues' strengths or brand as such. Like you should know where their strengths lie. You should know where they may need some more support. Um, and each member of that team essentially creates their own brand. So we do have a real good team at the club 
where we each have strengths and and then we support each other on on other aspects. Um, for instance, you could be the best club fitter at your club, and you're known for that. That's part of your brand as such. Um, you could be the coach, the instructor. You could be the junior leader. You could be um, the communication expert. You know. Mm-hmm. So, finding your niche essentially and saying this is, what I'm, this is what i'm doing this is what i'm good at that's right yeah. I, I think that's very important i think um for me it took me a few years to obviously you have to learn little pieces of the business as a whole but i think it's very important that club professionals find their niche and and really drive towards that become become experts in those areas for sure. And we touch on it too when, when I've taught classes in the past about, you know, are you are you wanting to be the Jack or Jill of all trades or are you going to find what makes you unique and something you're really good at and frankly something that you enjoy and just focus on that and say, I'm going to be the best person at doing this in the area or the city, whatever the case may be. And I think 99% of the time, that's what's going to lead you lead you to a lead you down a better road is is finding out what you're good at and just being the best at it yeah couldn't agree yeah, more. for sure um so from a personal brand standpoint for you do you have your own website do you have any of your own social channels that you use you know i guess on a golf professional side or are you very much kind of set aside from that right now because you're obviously at the club and you don't necessarily need to market yourself to people because your target audience and, and your and your your customers are all around you every day. Yeah, I, I I do. I do have I don't have a personal website, but to be honest, I see Instagram and Facebook as the new era of website anyway. It's it's a place that people can go to find out more about you, find out what your style is um, and and watch videos and all sorts of content you're posting. But, and I do have an Instagram account, a golf account that I semi regularly post to probably a couple of times a week. I'm not overly engaged on it, but my, my main brand, as you said, is built within the club itself. So a lot of it comes from word of mouth and just chatting with members and, and, and really, um, telling your story, mm-hmm. telling your story, the membership has to understand who you are, what your niche is, what your strengths are, what your passions are and what drives you. And, uh, and then they, they connect with you on that. Yeah, for sure. I think that's all part of the idea of education and storytelling. And, you know, if, if somebody sees you every day, but they really don't know who you are, or they don't know what you're all about. You're just another face that they see every day. So I think, yeah, I think you're you're on the right track with what you're doing with with working in a in a private club. If if the members don't know who you are and don't really know what you're all about, it's a really hard uphill climb to try to connect with them when it comes time to teach them a lesson or you know, um, work with them on picking out a new set of irons or whatever the case may be. So yeah, I, I think your situation is a little bit unique in that. You know, it's good to have some social presence, you know, for just building the personal brand outside of the club, but you're really unique in the fact that, yeah, your customers are right there. <laughs> like you see them every day and you know a lot about them too. So it's a bit of a unique situation. 
Yeah. If you were if you were working outside of the club, you know, somewhere else, you mentioned social being a really important thing. Do you think would you go and and build your own website? You know, if you were looking in a in a alternate path where you weren't at, at a private club, do you think you'd have your own website? Uh, yes, absolutely. I'm kind of a side gig for me for the last year, uh, really, actually, since the pandemic began. Um, I, I'm, I'm working on another business in which I am creating a website right now and uh, hopefully soon to launch. But yeah, I think website is, it, it's where if you, even if you're not selling goods or products or services, uh, it's a place where people will go first, including social, but, but websites where people will go to find out more about you or your brand. Yeah. And from a search engine perspective, that's what's going to carry the load a lot of times too. So cool. Very interesting. So I want to get into some quick hits. These are just random questions. Um, there's a few of them that we might have to alter a little bit because of your, your situation at a, at a private club, but I think we can we can get through them okay. Um, so maybe thinking back over your long career as a golf professional, if you could go back and make one change to a previous marketing campaign or a strategy, what's something that you might do a little bit different? So I've made this mistake many, many times. And now finally through working with RGX, uh, the group I mentioned earlier, as well as working with Coach Now, um, I, I realized that when you're creating a marketing campaign, you must make sure that you have a clear call to action and only one call to action. So there is no point in sending out an email with multiple things on that email and thinking that you're going to get good traction on those items. So I would yeah. say be, be clear, concise, and have a clear call to action. Couldn't agree more. And you know what? It's funny that somebody sends out an email, like you're sending an email out to an email audience. That email for you as you're building it, et cetera, is the most important thing. And you want to make sure it's perfect. On the flip side, somebody might look at it for literally three seconds. And you're right. If you've got too much going on or there's no clear call to action, that person's walking away from it. So it's, it's very much here's who I am or here's what I'm trying to tell you here's a way to get more information or buy something now and making that clear call to action so somebody can just quickly digest info and then they know what to do next without confusing them and making them jump through too many hoops. Yeah, so no, that's very, very, very important. So we, we touched a lot actually on offline marketing because of the situation you're in with the, with the demographic that you work with every day. When you look at offline marketing in general, whether it be newspapers, radio, television, um, billboards, all that kind of stuff, do you think offline marketing is alive and well? Do you think it's dead or do you think it's different, but still effective or perhaps other? I would say other, I would say it is depleting it's dying a slow death but i do see an overload of digital marketing and so i, I still think there is space for offline marketing um, like i said within our club we, we we still print newsletters we still print diaries we still have essentially small billboards throughout the club with club information on them 
not just because it's our, our demographic is older. I just think you can get overloaded with digital marketing and uh, sometimes offline marketing is is a nice break from that. For sure. And you know, it would be really interesting if all of a sudden your club was like, you know, our, our wait list isn't very big anymore and we're going to do a membership drive. It'd be really curious. I'd be curious to see where the marketing dollars get spent. Is it, let's go and find more folks that are just like the people that are already members here and maybe there's a push to offline or are you going to go try to find younger people to, to, to bring into the club and maybe that's where we would look at digital. So I think it'd be really interesting in the, in, in your club's case, if it was time to do a membership drive, kind of where the chips would fall. Yeah. I mean, that's, that would be very interesting. Um, considering the, the cost to join the club, it generally goes with an older clientele. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, with a wait list as well of, of 10 years plus, it, it tends to drive up the age as well. But um, if, if all that went out the window, then <laughs> yeah, I suppose you would, you would market towards a younger clientele. Yeah. Still though, with the, the financial position to be able to, to join a club too. So I think that'd be an interesting, uh, interesting case study one day, should that ever occur. Now with the club, we didn't really touch on this, the, the social channel that our club uses the most. Now, does the club have its own social channels? We do have a, an Instagram page that was set up probably only a year ago. I mean, it's, okay. it's very low engagement. Yeah. Very low engagement. It's really, it's, it's been starting. It's starting to cultivate because we do have younger members that, that do want that, uh, that kind of marketing or, or information. Um, so we do have an Instagram, but to be honest, it's, it's, yeah, it's very low. Um, sure. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, from the position that you're sitting in at the club too, it's like, you know, what, what would the purpose of more social media be? Right. Like, like, we're not trying to attract more people. We've got who we need right now is social media, just that side of the desk job because we think we should have it or is there actually a real purpose with that? And I know in my line of work and an agency um, I've been doing a lot of strategy since COVID started and, and discovering from a marketing perspective, a lot of businesses that are on social because they thought they had to be on social and they needed to be on social, but they're starting to realize that, you know what, we need to be on some social, but there's other things we could be doing that would probably be way, way more effective. So yeah, I think um, the priorities don't lie, especially with us. The priorities do yeah. not lie with, with social. Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> from a, a club policy standpoint, as soon as you drive through the gates, there's a big sign that says no mobile phones. <laughs> <laughs> that'll, that'll affect the social. And that'll <laughs> So I shouldn't be holding my breath waiting for the Calgary Golf and Country Club TikTok account then? And that's not coming anytime soon? I, not, not anytime soon. <laughs> okay. Um, now, from you as a golf professional yourself, what's one marketing channel that you wish you knew a little bit more about? Um, YouTube. Interesting. Yep. Yeah, definitely YouTube. It's something that I've, I mean, again, I don't spend much time thinking about my online marketing or, or social channels, but YouTube is, especially in the, 
I think video in general is is the the biggest growth I see uh, in connecting digitally with potential clients, mm-hmm. and and I, I see a few um, professional golfers or golf professionals using YouTube very very effectively and building strong brands off of that. So um, I will I will sit down and start to to look at that a little more in the in the coming months. I think YouTube for me too is that one that's everybody's kind of taken for granted at this point, but the power within YouTube, I mean, it's, it's got a couple of really good things going for it. It's one of the biggest search engines in the world. It's owned by Google, which is the biggest search engine in the world. Um, the amount of consumption that occurs on YouTube for a variety of things, not just entertainment purposes, but if I need to learn how to bake a cake, there's a whole lot of people that are just going to go to YouTube and watch somebody bake a cake. And then, you know, I was hanging some blinds in my house a couple of weeks ago. I went to YouTube to see how to do it. So, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's that one platform that, you know, it takes some time to build the content. It's not as simple as creating a tweet and out the door it goes, you have to create the video, but the video content, but it is that place where it's got a ton of power. If you put your mind to it and you have that, that proper, a collection of content. There's some really, really unique opportunities on YouTube. Yeah. So think about from your own personal brand standpoint, if let's say you were like, you know what, I'm going to spend this year building out my personal brand. And I came to you and said, I'll give you one of one of two things. I'll give you 500 new social media followers on whatever channel you want, or I'll give you 500 qualified emails in an email list. Which one are you taking and why? 500 new social media followers without doubt it's okay. just so it's social media especially for me i like instagram it's just so dynamic uh you can you can connect with your followers multiple times a day without bugging them too much they can just scroll past if they're not interested um to me emails are just overdone i just i can't even bear to look at my emails some days it's, I mean, in, in your case, you're talking about YouTube, 500 YouTube subscribers is a nice start on a YouTube channel. Oh, you can, you can do some stuff with that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, now, the next question, kind of interesting because of when we're recording this. We're recording this in late February um, 2022. And the question being, which golfer is a must follow on social media right now? Well, there's been some things that have happened in the past week that have made certain golfers um, uh, real social media um, talking points, but who do you follow or, or do you follow any any golfers on social? I do. I follow lots of golfers on social, but following on with the, the YouTube train, um, Podrick Harrington, mm-hmm. he has got just a fantastic YouTube channel now, which it's really evolved from him posting a few snippets on Instagram during COVID when uh, when he wasn't playing on the tour. And uh, he's got a lot of high quality information. And I, I love the way that, that Podrick puts his message across. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, we hear, uh, I've, I've never heard Podrick. I've heard Poulter is a really, really big one. Um, uh, people tend to, to, to like following him. Tiger, obviously, is something. But Podrick, I could definitely see, and I'm going to check it out too. Podrick, I think, would be, he's very well-spoken. And I think, yeah, he's got a lot of experience too. I think he could really put together some interesting 
things. And I could definitely see Padraig being somebody that gets involved in broadcasting down the road too. He's one of the guys that I would listen to for sure. Yeah, he's he's very intelligent and yeah. uh, and he's one of the guys that um, has really he's had to grind to be like he's a three time major champion, but yeah. it it wasn't through just pure natural talent. It was a lot and lot of grinding and uh, many many stories that he could tell. Yeah, no, for sure. And to further the point of grinding, the last PGA event I went to was the Open Championship when he won and he beat Greg Norman. That's when Greg Norman had his little um, weekend where he was going all nuts. And I'll never forget how windy it was. And when it got really windy, I, I talked to him. I was sitting with my wife. I said, you know what? The one guy that can do this is Harrington because he's just a grinder and he knows how to play in this kind of stuff. And sure enough, there he goes. It's funny. I, I was at his first open win at Carnoustie and uh this was when i was i was playing at university and coming back in the summers and my coach at the time was a good friend of of podrig's and uh i spent a bit of time with podrig's coach bob torrance when i was a junior and just a quick side note on the open at carnoustie from from the practice rounds onwards I would run to the front of the uh, the ropes at the at the range when Podrick was warming up, and Bob Torrance picked me out on the Wednesday and got me in the ropes, and I was standing next to Paddy hitting balls. He was hitting balls for an hour or so, and then every single day I went back, and uh, Bob got me in at least on Thursday and Friday. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah he's. I I don't know if I've ever seen somebody that can flight a golf ball like him like the way he can control it in, in wind and all sorts of conditions. It's that's his thing. Like, yeah, he's, he's a really, really good one. And I, I'm going to check out his YouTube channel for sure. Um, again, let's pretend you had to do some marketing. Um, you have a thousand dollars to promote an upcoming membership drive. Kind of what we were just t- chatting about. Where are you spending that money? I, I would spend it on Instagram and Facebook ads Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously you'd have to decide on on the call to action. Maybe maybe put together two or three marketing uh, campaigns. Or this is sorry, this is for a, a membership drive. Well, for for the club I'm at, no, I wouldn't be putting it on Instagram or Facebook. But for majority of clubs, yes, I would. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that and those are trackable. You can hyper target them, you know, based on demographic geographic information. I think that's a really, really important one. The next question, I, I, my guess is the answer is no. Have you ever been approached by or worked with an influencer of any sort before? Um, I've been approached a couple of times in the last few years, but nothing ever come of it. Mm-hmm. Um, funnily enough, uh, I'm from the UK and my family business is in the UK and 10 years ago, around 10 years ago, I was still trying to play some golf for a living, but I was also working kind of part-time in the family business. And uh, I did use an influencer to help grow the social media account for the business. And uh, it worked very well, actually, as far as sheer numbers following the account, uh, which was the goal, it really did actually draw in quite a good audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Um, and finally, what's the best piece of marketing advice you can give other golf professionals? 
make sure that your marketing is simple and tells your story. Uh, I would say that on, let's say, posters and banners and, and emails, we're, we're often so eager to add details to these posters and banners. Um, if you're advertising a coaching program, for instance, instead of listing details of the program, use imagery to show what it would be like to be a part of this coaching program or this group. Um, a picture of a group of golfers, say, having fun, holding a putt, uh, a picture's worth a, a thousand words. So make it clear, tell a story, and, and don't add details. Yeah, no, and you know what? Yeah, you don't need to confuse everyone. Give them the details they need. And as we chatted earlier, if there's a clear call to action, that's what can draw somebody over to get the finer points, right? You don't need to put everything on a poster. Of course, you have to put the details of, you need to put the call, of act, call to action. Yeah. So uh, yeah. call Stefan to, to register or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, just keep it very simple and tell the story. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's a it's a big point where people want to get everything they can possibly tell someone out on a single ad or a single e-newsletter. And it's like, you know what? Don't overload somebody because they're just going to walk away. They're not gonna, they're not going to read all that. They're not going right. to pay attention. Yeah. So listen, Stefan Cox from uh, Calgary Golf and Country Club. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, learned a lot, had a really good discussion. And I'm really glad we were able to talk about a a private club and get kind of a viewpoint from, from that side of things into, into uh, the daily life of a golf professional and also uh, how you approach marketing, personal branding, et cetera. So thank you very much for being on. It was a pleasure, Brian. Thanks for having me. Thank you.